0: Hello, and welcome back to The Dear Prudence Show once again. And as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Daniel Mallory Ortberg. With me in the studio this week is Janae Desmond-Harris, an op-ed editor at The New York Times. One of the resolutions she's been working on all year is to become someone who inspires other people to say, oh, you don't suffer fools. Janae, welcome.
1: Thank you. And part of that bio was that... You're an inspiration for me in that department. Um, I could not
0: say that, but I <laughs> and you refused it. to say
1: it because it sounded braggy.
0: It's it's also not always true of me, um, and sometimes I am the fool that others have to suffer. But in general, I think it's a it's a pretty cool line.
1: Well, you're really good when, especially when people have like a racist relative. You're really good at being like. They're a horrible person and a horrible parent and you don't need them in in your life and nobody needs them.
0: I I think it can be important not to suffer foolishness. And I think especially (laughs) when it comes to like how white people talk about our racist relatives, there can often be way too much bending over backwards and way too much, too much empathy too much empathy where it's like you need to throw some of it away.
1: I agree. Or give it
0: to somebody else.
1: This show has a great counterbalance to that.
0: Well, thank you. Um, I hope that that is the attitude that we can bring to all of our letter writers today. Although maybe none of them are fools. Maybe they're simply struggling with the amount of foolishness they've allowed into their lives up until this moment.
1: There aren't actually any terrible people.
0: Yeah. I tried to to maintain a a solid balance of... um, Life is so complicated. It's such a rich tapestry. It I, is. I want everyone to do well and to be the best versions of themselves that they can possibly be. And um, I especially feel this way about our first letter writer, who just seems like they are going through the mill. Mm-hmm. Would you take that one for us? Sure.
1: Subject Bad divorce. Dear Prudence, my soon to be ex spouse and I are going through a nasty divorce. I've obtained a temporary protective order due to his emotional, mental abuse and his threats. While the TPO is in place, he keeps violating it because his attorney says I'm wrong about the TPO. Yesterday's child exchange, where he's supposed to stay in the car, he gets out again, screams at me that I'm wrong and I can't talk to him because his attorney said so, and then yells, don't worry, the worst is yet to come. Wow. We work for the same company, and he's telling fellow employees that he has a plan to get me fired. I've reported that to HR, and they're investigating. However, I don't feel safe. I have a very uneasy feeling about this that I'm unable to shake. He has already tried to slander me in the courts, telling the judge I was an addict, and filed harassing motions for contempt that were dismissed as they were meritless. Other than totally eliminating any contact with him, I do not know what else to do. On the surface, I'm safe, but I don't feel safe. What can I do to feel safe?
0: This one, I just feel so bad for this letter writer. Like, it's wild to me that this guy is, like, the, you know, subject of a restraining order um, and is going around telling employees that he plans on getting her fired and is like screaming at her in public. And the company's like, we'll look into it.
1: Yeah. And I know this isn't the most encouraging thing to start off with, but I'm not actually sure that she is safe. Um, she, I assume this is a woman. Right. Um, she or they. Yeah. Um, or he. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, they say that they seem to think they they should feel safe or on the surface. They're safe, and I'm not sure that's really the right goal. I think the goal might be to try to be slightly more safe.
0: I, I, I think that that's true. I, I, I'm right there with you because I think there's that idea of, like, I'm sure it won't get worse, but oftentimes, you know, abusers commit violence when somebody is trying to leave. We know that that's a really dangerous time. We also know that he has said in public that the worst is yet to come, Um I think there is a very real chance that he will try to more than just get you fired, that he will try to hurt you physically.
1: Right. And we know that more women are murdered by ex-lovers and partners and spouses than anyone else. Um And, you know, if you've watched enough true crime shows, you know that there are plenty of cases where, like, the danger someone feels falls into a gap between um, what the law can cover and what's really terrifying.
0: So mostly, I think, pay attention to that feeling you have of I don't feel safe because I think that that's important. I think that that's your voice trying to protect you. Um, And so to whatever degree... um, you want to talk to the other people in your life about a safety plan. If you need to stay somewhere else um, so that your ex does not know where you are staying on a regular basis, um, if you need to tell HR that you have reasons to fear for your safety and that you need the company to take steps towards making sure that you are safe coming to work, given that you have already had to get a temporary protective order and that he has screamed at you in public that the worst is yet to come, and to insist on that, to insist upon that, mm-hmm. um, and that you, like, you're concerned about your safety at work and you have reason to be. Um, to contacting a local like domestic violence shelter um, that may be able to help you develop a safety plan um, in case he does try to escalate, um, all of those are going to be helpful to you.
1: Um, mm-hmm. And this isn't legal advice, so obviously talk to your attorney. I'm sure you have one if you have the protective order. Mm-hmm. But and I don't say this lightly because I know that awful things can happen when you call the police on people. But in this case, it's kind of him or you. Um, So when he does violate that restraining order, or protective order, I think that you should tell your attorney and hopefully also the police each time because there are consequences for that, ranging from misdemeanors to actual jail time. And unfortunately, I think it's a situation where him being in jail for a little while could keep you actually safe for a little while.
0: Yeah, uh, this certainly sounds like a situation where your safety needs to be the number one priority. He sounds violent and unpredictable. Um, And I think you need to do everything you can to look out for yourself. Um, I'm right there with you on that. Um, So absolutely um, eliminate any contact that you can, um, but also keep records of any times that he attempts to contact you or the people that you know. Certainly tell like co-workers friends relatives like if he gets in touch with you trying to find out where I am please do not tell him he has threatened my safety um, I have a temporary protective order against him I don't want him to know how to get in touch with me except for through our lawyers like get get your people in order so that they can help protect you um, and and keep a record of all of this and again like if your company's response to all of this especially if you go back to HR and say like I have the following reasons to believe that my ex is trying to harm me, and their response is just like, well, divorces are tricky, we'll look into it, you're both good employees, then that I mean, that's awful. I would hate to think that, like, you would have to also deal with finding a new job on top of all of this. But if there's anywhere else that you think you could get a job right now, I would say do it.
1: I would definitely suggest looking for a new job, not because it's fair or you should be the one who has to leave, but just because it might be a lot safer and eliminate one problematic area. Um, I'm also really concerned that it seems like he's overall sort of losing his grip. He doesn't care about the law. He doesn't care about his reputation at work. Mm -hmm. Um, He doesn't care about how he behaves in front of his child. And that makes me think that regardless of what your child tells you about their time together, um, I would make sure that your child has therapy just because they're spending time one on one with someone who's clearly just um, not his best self at all right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And again, this is worth consulting with your lawyer about, but seeking to establish uh, sole custody if if you can, I think would be. I, I again ideal just because like my the nightmare version of this scenario is that he tries to hurt your child to punish you um, because that that can happen um, or that he tries to hurt you because that can also happen um, and so just more than anything else like seek legal advice seek advice from a, a local shelter um, seek advice from people you love and trust but mostly just pay attention to if you don't feel safe you I don't think that you're inaccurate I don't, I don't think that's wrong i think that's because you're not safe
1: exactly don't waste any energy worrying about if you're the way you're feeling is inappropriate like stop judging yourself and know that your instincts are probably really good here
0: yeah and good luck please keep us posted with how you're doing all right this next letter uh is also about uh family although fortunately it's slightly less like an immediate danger situation the subject line is purposefully estranged dear prudence Last spring, I blocked my brother on all possible channels, social media, phone, email. I blocked him because he posted pictures of himself and his family members enjoying some time with our relative, I'll call him Paul, who assaulted me in 2017. When I confronted him about the post, his response was, don't hold me accountable for the stupid decisions you and Paul made. When I tried to clarify, he said, that incident was the result of your stupid decision making. After my brother and I had this awful exchange, he proceeded to try to convince our sister to, quote, take his side. He was somewhat successful in convincing her to doubt my version of events and assign blame to me. Today I have received an email from my brother sent to my work account where it's not possible to block people. He asks if I've received the text that he sent me and whether he's been blocked. I am of the opinion that a relationship with him does not bring value to my life. He's not welcome in my home, and my husband and I agree that our children should not be exposed to him. Furthermore, I know that the only apologies he's ever given are insincere because he only does it to keep the peace. I'm not interested in anything other than a real apology. I don't think he's capable of one. My question is, does he deserve to be told my reasons for removing him from my life?
1: I don't think he deserves it, but I would say for the sake of closure and clarity— Um, it would not hurt to write an email saying basically what you've written here. Hmm. Um, I blocked you because you blamed me for my assault. You're still friendly with the person who assaulted me. And I'm not interested in having a relationship with you at all anymore. Um, That would be pretty quick. It would be pretty clear. And he could never go around telling other people he was confused. And I would say any relative who wants to know what happens um, gets that email forwarded to them. And that's the last time you have to discuss it with anyone.
0: Yeah, I I think that's pretty good, pretty straightforward. Um, I I think it's the same. You certainly don't have to if you're like, "I, I, I wouldn't get anything out of this. But since it sounds like at least part of you seems like if he were ever able to like turn it around and offer me this, I would be willing to revisit, then that says you might at least want to say like, look, the reason that we don't talk is because you blamed me for my own assault. Um, you said it was a result of bad decision-making and have tried to tell other people the same thing. Um, I can't be in a relationship with you under those terms. If you are ever willing and able to offer a full and sincere apology, not because you want to keep the peace, but because you believe you did something wrong and you want to try to make it right, I'd be willing to listen. Anything short of that, I, I, I can't, I can't talk to you. Um, Um,
1: Also, just the fact that um, the letter writer says the brother doesn't add anything to her life makes me think that this wasn't um, a situation where they had an amazing relationship and they just didn't see eye to eye on one thing. Right. It sounds like um, he's not someone who she's really going to miss.
0: Right. Right. And again, regardless of the gender of the letter writer, like uh, this is not a person who brings value to your life. Um, And if if your brother has a history of never apologizing, except in a sort of like um, flimsy way to keep people from being mad at him. And it seems like that's kind of what all this is about. Right. Like, wait a minute. Am I blocked? Are people going to think that we're not close? That wouldn't be OK with me. Um, not like did I hurt you by, you know, saying that you were to blame for your own assault and trying to convince the rest of our siblings that you shouldn't be believed. Um Yeah, I I think that tells you something about whether or not he's able to recognize the harm that he's already done. But I'm really, really glad that you already took steps to block him. I'm really glad that you and your husband are on the same page. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm really glad that you know what you need from him. And so I think if you decide not to send it, that's fine, honestly. Um, This is not a situation where if you didn't share it with him, he might have genuine grounds for confusion. Right. Um, It's it's lousy to tell someone they are to blame for their own assaults. so his loss yeah yeah absolutely well that one was at least pretty straightforward yeah that wasn't hard this next one is a little trickier i think because there's a number of potentially different factors that may be at play and i'm kind of curious to see what you what leapt out to you about this one
1: okay the subject is living it up together dear prudence i'm in a very caring committed relationship with a wonderful man i love dearly our problem is that we seem to have a difficult time getting ourselves to do the things we both want We want to have a relatively clean house, we want to have food every day, we want to go out and do things together, but we can't seem to get ourselves to do any of that. When one of us has a burst of energy, we can get the other going, but more often than not, we do the opposite and drag each other down with our inertia, ending up on the couch with a sink full of dishes and chips for dinner. Berating ourselves and promising we'll do better from now on has done nothing to improve the situation, and we're still doing the very bare minimum just so we can have something to pour our coffee into every day. Neither of us wants to live the rest of our lives like this. What can we do? I have one positive thought. Yeah. Um, I think it's kind of sweet that they're so in sync with each other mm-hmm. and so connected and kind of on the same page, both in terms of their energy level and the issues they have with their lives and how they would like their lives to look. Um, in some ways, I think that's better than one person being totally type A and thinking the other person's lazy and just having completely contradicting values. Mm-hmm. So I think that's something to work with. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think some of this, like, to a certain degree, is something that a lot of couples face eventually is like, well, you already love me as I am. And we can both sort of, like, bring out the comfort creature in one another. Mm-hmm. And we both always want to kind of do the softest, you know, easiest thing. Um and so, a lot of couples, I think, can find themselves in a version of this situation at various points over the course of a long term relationship. Um, i'll 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 throw it out as a possibility. I didn't get I didn't read like a huge, depressed vibe from this letter. But if this is kind of new for both of you, if you find yourself just like uninterested in things that used to bring you a lot of joy, if the idea of taking care of yourself or your home just kind of feels like, why bother? I'll just have to wash another dish tomorrow. (laughs) Um, it, It might be worth, you know, asking whether or not one or both of you is suffering from depression, whether or not you want to talk to a doctor or a therapist about it, whether or not there would be some treatment options that you would want to look into. I, I, I mostly just want to say that to kind of cover my bases. Again, I did not read this and think like this sounds like a classic case of depression, but it's it's worth asking.
1: I, had, I actually had the same reaction and mm-hmm. thought it was slightly more likely that maybe it had to do with like a psychological or physiological issue. Um, Only because I'm not hearing them say we want to train for a marathon and we're not doing it or we both want to get amazing promotions at work and we're not doing it. It's like getting food in the house. Right. Um, Most people are pretty motivated to feed themselves if there's not.
0: That does fall under the umbrella of everyday functioning. Right. And I think sometimes it it can feel like, well, if I'm not, like, acutely miserable and I don't feel grief every moment, it must not be depression. Right. depression can look a lot like inertia and what's the point and this is fine.
1: Right. Um, At the same time, aside from the food, which everyone needs, I'm wondering how much of the way they think their life should be looking is a should versus an actual want. Uh, Could it be that these are just really low-key people – who are kind of okay with a mess and don't love going out and doing stuff, but they feel like they should want their lives to be different. But is there a possibility they're actually okay like this?
0: And, you know, I I think there's a certain degree to which it will be useful for them to accept, like, we are probably not marathon runners. Right. Um, So maybe just to think of, like, we want to have, a like, their goals are we want to have a relatively clean house. We want to have some sort of prepared meal every day. And we want to sometimes go out and do things together. Mm-hmm. which i think those are both achievable and a little vague so it might help to kind of drill down like between where we're at right now which is pretty much nothing in terms of energy expended upon the care of our home um or the meals that we eat together um and our ideal like what is the first step that makes sense so maybe the shift is like okay last night we had chips for dinner tonight We are going to have cereal in bowls with milk, right? Like, because that'll feel a little like, God, that's almost the same thing. But no, like, you're getting a spoon, you're getting a dish, you are putting two things in a bowl, that's technically cooking, Um, you know, like, that I think is at least... A sense of like a manageable achievable goal or even just like again this may not work for everybody but even like setting a timer that's just like okay for the next five minutes we're going to start tidying Mm -hmm. and it may be that when we finish in five minutes we're just done it also may be like oh we have a little burst of energy to do another three minutes um but just figuring out like what's what's a what's some effort that we're willing and able to put in together tomorrow Um, And maybe it's literally just like we're going to do cereal a couple nights in a row, but just so that we get in the habit of like, well, we have to have at least two bowls and two spoons clean for that. And we have to have Mm -hmm. some cereal and some sort of milk in the house. Right. Um, That is small, relatively low buy-in, but it also may feel a little like, oh, that was doable. Maybe next week we will try oatmeal. (laughs) (laughs) Breakfast for dinner is delicious and like relatively relatively low energy.
1: Yeah, I had some similar sort of tips and tricks that seem kind of trite to talk about without getting the idea of like a larger underlying issue like depression out of the way.
0: Yeah, I kind of want to do both. Right. right? Yeah.
1: So mine are, um, I think you should order your groceries online. Um, You say you're not going out and doing anything. So I assume you have some money that you would have been spending on drinks or eating out. So mm -hmm. I think you can maybe afford to spend that money on ordering your groceries. It's super easy. You can do it while you're watching TV. Um, I also am of the belief that having a clean environment actually kind of gives you energy. Yeah. And I also believe that everyone has a type A, super organized Marie Kondo listening friend. So maybe put a call out for some help to just have um, someone else come over and get some different energy in the house. And I'm sure there's someone who would love to spend a weekend Getting your home clean and organized, getting rid of junk, creating systems to stay organized, and you might just like an hour
0: helping you plan. Yeah, if somebody's not like willing to give you a whole weekend, you probably have a friend who would like one time be like, "Yeah, I could spend the afternoon helping you go through some stuff."
1: Yeah, and that just might be that you know you two are feeding off each other's energy, and maybe just bringing someone else in there could could stir that up a little bit Mm -hmm. and be the motivation that you need. Um, I also recommend you obviously like podcasts because you listen to this, so. I would suggest saving the podcast you really enjoy for when you're doing tedious things that you don't want to do. That's something I do and actually really helps a lot. That's fabulous. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And like finding, you know, different motivational strategies that work for the both of you. Something that might work for one person may not work for you. But even just like, you know, being in touch throughout the work day of like figuring out, hey, tonight when we get home, we're both going to like, you know, clean the tables in the house, like just clear off the gross mail and like dust it. Um, And then afterwards, we're going to get to do something that we like. And I like the idea, too, of ordering groceries, including like some of the like pre-made meals. Mm -hmm. The groceries are often like pretty delicious and not super expensive. And it's a meal. It's not chips, but it's not a lot more work than chips. It's like pull back the plastic wrap and microwave it and then dump it on a plate. And then it's like you just did something.
1: Right. And my last piece of advice would be. Don't wait for both of you to be motivated at the same time. Mm -hmm. It just seems like the probability will be lower of that happening. So if you let a writer um, have energy one moment or one day, just go ahead and get started on something and don't wait for your partner to be on the same page. Um, Maybe you'll motivate them uh, by being up and about. Maybe you won't. But either way, you won't
0: just be bringing each other down. Yeah. And again, just in addition to all those little tips and tricks, which can be great, if you both find yourself consistently Barely able to have something to put coffee into on a daily basis. Certainly check in with your doctor, check in with a therapist, look for whether or not there are other ways that you need to be taking care of yourself um, that that you're not able to do right now. Because that, you know, that's certainly cause to talk to somebody about like...
1: And like, remember that life is hard and tiring and a lot of people feel overwhelmed and you two aren't the worst and you're not hurting anyone with your current lifestyle. So don't be so hard on yourself that you exhaust yourself by beating yourself up.
0: Yeah, I I think that's part of the reason we both were like, here are some tricks, because it's like mostly what I don't want you two to feel like is like tomorrow is the first day of the rest of our lives and we are both going to like do just bananas amounts of meal prep And eat nothing but the like freshest mason jars full of salad (laughs) and our house will be sparkling like the Jetsons. Um, That's a lot of pressure to put on yourself. So things that are small, incremental, that feel achievable and that also take into account both like your personal tendencies and also whether or not you may have some underlying depression that's worth um, addressing. Uh, Those are all going to be helpful. Mm -hmm. And good luck. You both sound really nice. Good luck. And chips are delicious. I get it. Chips are great. All right, so the subject line of this next letter is giving up the family religion. Dear Prudence, I'm a middle-aged man who was raised in a conservative religion. My wife and teenage children are also members of this church, which requires its members to follow a certain lifestyle in order to participate in some religious ceremonies like weddings and baptisms. This lifestyle includes donating 10% of your income to the church, abstaining from alcohol, and agreeing to publicly support the church and its leaders in all matters, including its rejection of feminism and LGBTQ rights. Over the last decade, I've realized I never really believed in any of this and have been quietly reducing my participation in our local congregation. During the holidays, my extended family will be participating in one of these members-only ceremonies. My parents are expecting my family to attend. Although the kids will gladly participate, they're still fully committed to the church, I'm afraid that my personal refusal to go would freak them out and force an uncomfortable confrontation— What do I say to my parents, who will see my rejection of the family faith as a heartbreaking tragedy that requires an all-hands-on-deck intervention?
1: So, I think there's two different ways of reading this letter. One of them is, um, I'm just kind of over the church. I'm not as passionate about the religion as I used to be, and I don't feel like getting up out of bed to go to the services, and I don't feel like giving my money anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, The other way of reading it, and I'm actually hoping that this is what the letter writer intended is that he actually has become um, a person who does not approve of the church's rejection of feminism and LGBT rights and finds those things unacceptable and offensive and therefore doesn't wanna participate on moral grounds. So I'm gonna answer as if it's B. Um, And because of that, my answer, or my question back to the letter writer is this, Um, you say that your parents will see it as a heartbreaking tragedy if you don't go to church and if you reject the religion. But why is that more of a tragedy than them supporting bigotry? Like, who, who's really being harmed here? I just did um, a little, like, thumbs up. <laughs> I'm getting the thumbs up from across chair. the table. Yeah. I would just question the assumption that them wanting to continue supporting bigotry is somehow more of, like, a precious situation than you wanting to live a life that's free of that. And I would... I would support you in telling them how you feel and not really feeling that bad about it. I mean, you don't have to call them names. You don't have to say that they're awful people. But I think you can be really clear. And also you're not doing your children any favors if you um, keep your values a secret from them.
0: Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That is the pull quote for the episode right there. It's like, yeah, part of being a good parent is, uh, you know, impressing upon your children the importance of like fair and equitable treatment for other people. Um, And if you have been downplaying your concern about the church's rejection of feminism and LGBT rights, in order to keep the peace, I think this is, a, this is a definitely a situation that calls for some peace breaking. Um, and, and as you were saying, I think it's good not to like cede the moral high ground to your parents and the church simply because they have been using the language of morality the longest. Um, I think for you to say, I I believe it is immoral to support the church financially and and simply by my own attendance, um, as long as they reject LGBT rights. I feel this very, very strongly. um, And I'm not going to go to any more events until or unless that changes. Or even if you were to say, um, even if that were to change, um, I would no longer be a member of the church, but I could at least support, um, you know, It's some of its aims more broadly, whether, I mean, again, you'll have to ask yourself whether or not that's true for you. I don't know if it is. Um, but yeah, I I think this is worth, you know, uh, you are in relative to the position of a woman or an LGBT person in your situation. Um, you, you get to do this at a bit of a remove, um, as a, as a middle-aged man, like this does not directly affect you. So this is a real opportunity for you to get a little skin in the game um, for, for people who do not have the option of whether or not they want to treat it um, as, a, as a secret or as a private issue. Um, so I would encourage you to say, I'm not going to go, and here's why. And to tell your kids why and to say, you know, in life you're going to experience a lot of moments like this. Here's what I think is really important, and this is the ground I'm standing on, and I'm proud of it. Um, Good, good for you. Like that is a good thing. You should be proud of yourself for saying like I don't want to support this church. Right. uh, As long as that's what it asks of me,
1: Uh, and it doesn't, it doesn't require a holiday for you to communicate those values to your kids. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that those are conversations you can start having in your house, separate from any particular church service.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and you know you are a middle-aged man, so if your parents think that this requires an all hands on deck intervention, that is certainly going to be tiring and frustrating. But, you know, you'll also need to figure out how to set limits with your parents in terms of conversations. Like, I'm willing to have a conversation with you about these things, but I would want you to listen to me and accord me the same respect I have recorded you in in growing up hearing about your beliefs and values in this particular situation. And, you know, if they just totally lose it and cannot do that, then you get to say, all right, I'm going to end this conversation. I'll talk to you later. Um, you'll figure out those strategies.
1: Right. If the situation was just, um, eh, I'm not that religious anymore, it's like a perfectly fine religion, but I just don't feel like it, I would say just suck it up and go on the holiday. Sure. Um, or pretend to be sick, tell a little white lie, whatever. But I think there's a little bit more at stake here.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think so too. And so good luck. I think that that will be the right thing to do. And I think even though it will in some ways feel tiring or frustrating, um, it will be a... a very, very good act and will hopefully lead to um, other members of your family who might have quietly thought the same thing um feel emboldened to speak up. And, you know, just like as a person who has benefited both from feminism and LGBT <laughs> rights, I'd sure appreciate it. Just just your old friend Danny Mallory Ortberg, he'd <laughs> he'd he'd sure consider it a solid. Um so just know that I'm giving you a little thumbs up as you do it. All right. This next letter is kind of in a similar vein, just in terms of like sometimes where attitudes of the previous letter can lead. Mm -hmm. Um, The subject is overcoming blatant misogyny. Dear Prudence, I work in customer service. And since 2016, more and more male customers resort to misogynist slanders or sexually explicit vulgarities when they don't like a price quote I provide them. I've often felt dismissed because I'm a woman, but the attitude has gotten more emboldened and crude recently. I try not to engage and end interactions as soon as possible, but what can I do? How can I better respond while maintaining professionalism, but also stand up for myself?
1: Um, I thought this was the hardest question of the day. Yeah, because this person needs a job, and I think if they thought if they thought I like, could quit their job, we wouldn't be getting this letter, right? Mm-hmm. So. Um so let's assume that she is going to keep working there. Yeah. If I could ask her a question, I would ask um whether she has the support of her supervisor and what conversations they've had about this. Um if the supervisor is a decent person who also agrees that, you know, having misogynist insult hurled at you on the phone is not a good thing, then I think she could simply say to these people who are calling, um, please don't speak to me like that. The price is forty dollars a month, and if they do it again, um, this conversation isn't working. I'm going to send you to my supervisor. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I, I, I did kind of get the impression that this was over the phone for some reason. Yeah, I did too. I'm not sure why. It could be that they're in person. That would actually in some ways be not easier, but like at least then you'd have a supervisor nearby that right. you could potentially call upon. But if it's on the phone, it's much more like it. it the conversation start and end without your supervisor being able to be present.
1: Right. Um, but if there's any way to just like, transfer the call or call a manager over. Um, If that's something your work environment supports, obviously I would suggest that. Um, I'm wondering also if just ending the interaction, like you can't talk to me like that, goodbye, Mm -hmm. is something that would work. And at first I thought, no, because, you know, this person um, has to bring in money and, you know, they'll somehow be punished or they won't get a commission or whatever it is. But if someone's already yelling at you about the price, they're and probably... the fact that you're
0: a woman into it. Right. You're not going to make that sale. I
1: don't think that sale is going to happen if they're that upset. And um, I don't think she's in a position to like negotiate the price. So just ending the conversation... Is probably an option that wouldn't hurt the business you work for and wouldn't cause too many problems for you.
0: And I think if this is happening like frequently enough that it's become a recurring problem, I think that the goal for you is going to be how do I spend as little time as possible on these like sexist pics rather than what's going to be really like a satisfying one liner. So I think for you, just having a point that you can let your supervisor know, like, look, I'm willing to do plenty to make a sale. As soon as somebody starts throwing around sexist and, like, personal insults at me, I'm ending a conversation. Um, That is my limit. Um, And so as soon as that starts to come up to just say, like, I don't talk, like, this conversation is over. Um, There's no need to talk to me like that. And hanging up. Like, just, we're done now. I think is probably going to be the best way for it. But it's really hard. And it's really hard when it's customers because mm-hmm. it's not even like I mean, not that like management is historically fabulous at dealing with sexist harassment. But like at least if it were coworkers, you could theoretically right. go to management or like corporate headquarters and say or like file a lawsuit. But
1: it just makes you realize that customers can do just about anything to you short of committing a crime. Mm -hmm. And there's really nothing you can do because you're not in charge of them.
0: Yeah. um,
1: And in fact, you're charged with providing them service. So it's a really, really hard situation. Yeah.
0: And just the cost of sexism that like she's having to spend this much of her time at work worrying about who's the next person who's going to like throw, you know, sexist insults in my face and how am I going to deal with it while I'm trying to work?
1: This is not a solution. Um, It's more of a coping mechanism. But one thing I wondered is whether there's any way she can kind of anonymously vent about these interactions. And I got the idea from when I used to be a writer and I would get horrible, racist, crazy, misspelled, angry emails There was nothing more satisfying than screen grabbing them and sharing them on Twitter, sharing them on Facebook and having everyone weigh in and like say how stupid the person was and how they didn't know how to use apostrophes. Um, And it didn't solve the problem and it didn't do anything to the actual person who wrote the hateful letter because I would block out their name. Um, But there can be something about treating things that happened to you as material Um, whether it's some kind of art or an anonymous blog or just sharing with your friends where you can detach and it feels less like something that happened to you and more like something you observed that, um, that reflects like this political and social moment. And I just wonder if that might, that might help you to experience these moments just slightly differently.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, if if you hear that and that doesn't sound helpful to you, you certainly don't have to. But if if part of you feels like I could really use an outlet or some way of, like, taking these stories and telling them in a way where I'm in control um, or just where other people are going to listen to me, that may be really helpful. I remember my first job was at a, uh, like, kind of fast casual chain in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. And at the time I was a 16 year old girl. Um, or look like one or whatever. I don't, I don't always know how to talk about my own transition. So I mostly just want to say, like, I'm not using language I think should be applicable to everyone. But at any rate, um, one of the things that we sold was an Italian big beef. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, like, Midwestern dads would come in and they would often want to make kind of the same joke about it. And, you know, there was just only so many versions of that joke I yeah. was willing to hear before one day I just, like... Without thinking, just like looked this guy dead in the eyes and just let my face go dead. I was like, Thank you, sir. May I have another? My manager was standing right behind me and he was so mad at me. Um, I I got chewed out for the first time and I did not enjoy that. But
1: when I was a 16 year old girl working as a hostess out back steakhouse, we would put people on the waiting list and then give them a pager. And we were told by management that we couldn't say it will vibrate when your table is ready because men would, like, automatically make crazy jokes about the thing vibrating every single time if you said that. It was guaranteed.
0: (sighs) Of course it was. Yeah. Of course it was.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, our solution was to use a different word that didn't, you know, trigger them to be filthy. But... Not a great situation.
0: Yeah. No. And it, it so sucks that it so often happens in customer service. Yeah. Um, and so often to, like, female service employees where there's this sort of, like, already implicit pressure to, like, be agreeable and to mm-hmm. go along with things. And it's really telling that a lot of men use that power dynamic to act out in ways that they would not act around people they considered, like, social or professional peers. Totally. Um, certainly, if these encounters happen in person you have my permission to put nails in the tires of their cars mine too awesome yeah if anyone gets mad at you you send them to us (laughs) so that we can get sued um we're doing great
1: all right next letter subject boss scolded me for pointing out a problem then stole my solution and passed it off as her own dear prudence recently i've run into some problems at work that have been caused by inefficient regulations and protocols Since it's really been slowing down my process, I decided to finally bring the issue to the attention of my boss, Judy. In an email, I explained to her what the issues were, offered potential solutions, and asked for her thoughts on the matter. Judy's reply was sarcastic and condescending. She denied that any of the problems I described existed. She explained my own job to me in oversimplified terms as if I was a child and told me to suck it up and that I shouldn't have any issues doing my job. A day later, Judy sent out an email to me and all of my coworkers, stating that due to observations she's made, she's going to be implementing new policies to remedy some issues. Lo and behold, every single problem she mentioned and every single new policy she specified was exactly what I had told her about in my email to her. I'm so upset. Was I wrong to try to talk about the problems I noticed and try to offer solutions? Why would Judy react to me with such hostility if she was just going to take all of my ideas anyway? Is there anything I can do about this other than just quitting?
0: My feelings are so hurt. That is a bad boss.
1: And this person is so innocent.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No. um, Like, was I wrong? No. But why would Judy react to me with such hostility if she was just going to take my ideas anyways? Sometimes that's just what bosses do.
1: Right. Um... I get the feeling that this person has not maybe been in the workforce long enough or maybe has just had great experiences so far, Mm. but hasn't had the experience to realize um, something that all of us realize at some point down the line, which is that just because someone's your boss doesn't mean they're smarter than you. Um, And just because someone's your boss doesn't mean they aren't wildly insecure. Um, So I think what probably happened here, what clearly happened here is that you were right and Judy knew it. And the fact that these things were going wrong um, wasn't – she saw as an insult to her and her management. Right. And she fixed them and obviously wanted the credit because what boss would want to say, you know, this person junior to me fixed a problem that I should have fixed.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you found out the hard way that a lot of bosses are not just interested in hearing the best ideas and giving credit where credit is due. A lot of bosses are primarily concerned with justifying their own inflated paycheck um, as – quote-unquote managers um, and will in fact see any attempts to improve work conditions um, as personal insults.
1: And one thing I get from this letter is that she and Judy maybe didn't have um, the best or closest relationship to start with. And I would advise, even though it's a shame that you have to do this, one technique in a workplace is to manage your manager. Mm. So... I think this might have gone over better if maybe you and Judy had had more of a friendly chat um, a couple of times where you talked about issues in the workplace, maybe little by little versus you um, like dumping like a 10 point list of problems and a new workflow on her. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. You were clearly right about everything. But in the interest of managing up, um, maybe that could have been done with like, judy's ego in mind
0: right right and so that's going to be helpful for you i think in the future um because you know going to judy and saying like she knows what she did right it is in writing that you gave her the idea and then she did not give you credit like going to her and saying like this really hurt my feelings is likely to result in at best judy saying i don't know why you're so sensitive Mm -hmm. um I don't think she is a person that you can or should trust with your feelings. And so I think, like, going forward, you need to just think of her as a sort of difficult hedge you need to step over every day in order to get your work done. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, and that's just going to be helpful. Like, oh, Judy's a hedge. Like, obviously she's a person and a human being. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. But in in terms of what you need to focus on, just be like, um, I don't need to take this personally because her insecurity and her, like, Uh, image management obsession clearly does not stem from me. But she is going to make life at work a little more tricky for me. So I just need to figure out ways, how am I going to step over the hedge today? Um, So you can just sort of, like, detach yourself from this thought of, like, why would she not like me? What's wrong with me? Nothing's wrong with you. You're an employee who had a good idea. Right. Um,
1: And it helps to remember that, unfortunately, like, you are at work to do the work they ask you to do in exchange for a paycheck, not to get the credit you deserved or have your your own ego stroked or even really to be treated nicely which sucks but and so the revolution right um and there's one way of looking at this positively which is that um and I've had someone take credit for my ideas at work before and it's very frustrating I can't say I don't still think about it often but Mm -hmm. one way I try to reframe it is to think of the fact that this proves that I had a great idea. Mm. Like, this proves that I had an idea that someone senior to me wanted to take credit for, which says good things about my intelligence and my creativity. And so, letter writer, that's something that, you know, you can take with you. If ever in the future you have imposter syndrome, you can remind yourself that you were doing Judy's job
0: um, when you weren't even getting credit for it. So I do also want to offer a couple of options in addition to, like, you are now sadder but wiser. Um, But what do you want to do with that? So I think there's a couple of options available to you. And depending on both like your financial circumstances and also your personal comfort with conflict, you can kind of take one or all of these. Like your first option is, you know, you can take it as a painful but valuable lesson. Enjoy the new improved workflow in the future if you have uh, suggestions to make. You know, you know, probably not to do it over email. You know, you'll have to do a lot of managing of Judy's expectations. You know, you'll probably have to like invite her into the process in such a way that makes her feel like it's her idea. Um, uh, All of which is a lot of extra work and sucks. Um, But that's one option you have. It's the lowest conflict. Um, You sort of divest some of your personal feelings from the job and just treat it more like work. Um, And your boss is just your boss, not somebody who's like looking out for you. Another option is to start looking for work elsewhere because not every boss is this awful. Um, Many are, but many aren't. Like not every boss is going to steal your ideas so blatantly and not every boss is going to sarcastically explain your own job to you. Um, so that's another option. Uh, you know, another option, again, especially if you feel like I could look for another job and find one relatively easy without totally bankrupting myself, um, is you could go back to Judy and say, hey, I'm really confused. When I brought these ideas to your attention, um, you were really upset with me. And yet I noticed that you implemented the next day. Can you tell me what changed? That's a high conflict route. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I recommend doing that one in person. Um She may flip out. She may get embarrassed. She may admit to something. She may fire you. Um, That one's a little more unpredictable, but you could certainly do that, especially if you have any kind of relationship with Judy's boss um, or feel at all like um, there's somebody over her head that you could go to and say, like, can you explain this to me? I'm confused. When I brought this up, this is... And again, their response might be like, well, we got to defend Judy. Um, uh, But it may also potentially... Yeah, I I I, do, I I I, think it's unlu- unlikely that it would benefit you, given that she has already been promoted to this position and the company seems to have invested more in her than they have in you. But
1: What do you think about the letter writer um, when it comes time for their annual review and self-evaluation to say, I identified these problems and came up with a new workflow that's been implemented? Hell yes. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. Because nobody can say that they didn't. The email thread is right there.
0: Oh, man. Yeah, that would be really that that might be my favorite option yeah Yeah. and
1: regardless don't delete any of the emails yeah because you never know if judy ever tries to do something to you that's just one thing that you have on her
0: yeah but yeah often in situations like this a boss will behave that way because they know they can get away with it true um and but hope i don't know I, i i hope that maybe she is like a really bad apple in an otherwise good barrel and that um if you were to bring this up with somebody over her head or to just like reaffirm later on in the year like yeah that was my idea um that there would be actual consequences for her. Um, but yeah, it just, I'm so sorry that this was like your first encounter with like a lousy boss who is not actually looking out for you and uh, they're out there. Mm-hmm. Don't sort-
1: take it personally if that's at all possible.
0: Yeah. All right. This is something that I think you can't help but take personally. Also, I really appreciated the subject line here, which is just animal husbandry, which is very charming because it's about a husband who owns a lot of animals. It's wordplay. It's very clever. Dear Prudence, my husband had a midlife crisis of sorts a few years ago. He bought several rare and endangered species, housing them in our home, which was obviously not set up to be a farm or terrarium. I, boy, that tells you that at least some of the animals are spiders and snakes. Yeah, <laughs> I put up with it because I thought it was just a phase. Fast forward three years. We now have 16 different animals. I can't use the space excuse. Our children have left the nest, so we have lots of extra space. But it's honestly made my life miserable. Our home constantly feels unclean and smells of animal feces. My husband does take care of the animals, but he spends all his time on that. I feel neglected. To make matters worse, I'm not sure he acquired them all legally. He refuses therapy. Is it unreasonable to leave a man over a bunch of animals? Do I have any other options? Please help. No, it is not unreasonable. It's not unreasonable. Oh, you poor, poor, poor beleaguered letter writer. Also, the idea that you can't use the space excuse because there's no children in the house is like... You don't need to point to children to say I don't want a giant python in the room next to mine,
1: and it stinks everywhere.
0: Yeah, no. This is the fact that, like, you have put up with him to sixteen possibly illegally required animals. You are underreacting, if anything. To
1: start with, you're you're allowed to leave your husband over anything. You can leave your husband over one cat that you don't get along with. For um, sure, if you're total, if you're not happy, and obviously you don't need any advice podcasters permission to do that um but this situation seems really bad and the biggest red flags to me are um that he refuses therapy i'm not saying you need therapy for having too many animals i don't know exactly what's going on there but when you suggested therapy to him that should have been a huge red flag waving and saying i'm unhappy something needs to change yeah and the fact that he didn't acknowledge that um to me says that he doesn't really care about the experience you're having in your
0: house or really care about you at all yeah like and there's either some sort of like like possible mental health issue or frankly just like he's being unreasonable and a dick like and and if it's the former then you know, you're not helping him any by living in a miserable marriage. Um, and if it's the latter, you don't need to stick around and suffer. Um, so absolutely leave. Leave now. Go to a hotel tonight. Go to a mm-hmm. friend's house tonight and enjoy breathing in air that does not smell like animal shit. Um, and then also, uh, frankly, if there is like a governing board of animal licensing in your state or a like local animal control, um, Report the shit out of this. Like, it's not good for the animals. You know what I mean? Like, I guarantee you whatever exotic pets he owns right now, they were not meant to happily live in a single family home with 16 other animals. Like, this is an unlicensed zoo. And I also don't believe in zoos. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is not good for the animals. Um, This is definitely not good for you. Um, It's probably not good for your husband or your health. Like, report him. Leave him. Get out of there, enjoy your life.
1: This also reminds me of the letter from the person with the asshole brother, in that there's nothing redeeming in this. Normally, when you read a letter, To an advice columnist, there's a part that says we have a great relationship and they're wonderful in every single way and everything is great and we love each other except for this problem. And I'm not seeing any positive things in here. I don't know if it was
0: edited or... No, this is as it came in.
1: Yeah, I don't see anything about how most of your relationship is loving and supportive. I'm only hearing about the animals and the filth and him ignoring you.
0: Yeah, I like... No, nothing about this sounds, this sounds like she's married or whoever, this sounds like this person is married to, like, Tracy Jordan on 30 Rock, where he's always like, I need Kenneth to go massage my iguana Jeremy until he poops. (laughs) Like, that's not a person you want to be married to.
1: And um, honestly, I would bet that he will not put up a big fight if you leave.
0: Oh, he won't even notice. Yeah. He's going to move in, like, five exotic parrot spiders into your bed, side of the bed tomorrow.
1: He's married to those animals.
0: Yeah. No. Get out of there. Report him for the sake of the animals. Like, they don't deserve this. And he needs to address whatever underlying issues are going on or just, like, buy a traditional sports car if he wants to have a mental health crisis. Don't, like, make a bunch of snakes suffer just because you're stressed out about turning 45. Well, we may, I think, have time for... A voicemail?
1: Ooh.
2: Dear Prudence, my mid-40-something cousin keeps drunk calling me at night whenever she's triggered by memories and and feelings of her childhood sexual abuse. I'm older, and I, too, was uh, molested by someone in the family. I went through years of therapy to resolve that. I really want to help my cousin. I've offered to help her find a therapist, explain the tips and tricks for finding one through sliding scale community or other non-insurance markers on her medical records. She just blows it off. She gets a little relief whenever we talk, so it kills her motivation. It's also hurting me. I'm disabled with multiple autoimmune diseases and chronic pain. These phone calls in the middle of the night startle me, bring up my feelings from the past, and leave me feeling like hell for a couple of days afterwards. I've told her I'm not a therapist, that I don't have the skills, but she persists. She's drinking, she admits to self medicate. Please help me help my cousin, because I'm not a therapist. Thank you so much for your help. Man.
1: It's really, really hard for both of them. Yeah.
0: Um I, I think this is a really like clear cut situation where the kindest and most compassionate thing to do, um, is to set a really firm limit. I know sometimes, especially like online, we'll see kind of conversations about like, when is it okay to say like, I can't be there for someone versus like, when are you trying to, um, like set up too many rules and boundaries over whether or not people can talk to you about difficult things that they're going through. Um, I think this is a situation where like the caller is. You know, themselves a victim of the same type of abuse um, is feeling triggered by these phone calls and is risking their own health. Like when they get these phone calls, when they listen to them, when they engage in these conversations, um, it compromises their like mental well-being and their physical health. And so as as painful as it will be to see somebody just spiraling like this, um, I, I think to just say like, um, I cannot take these calls anymore. If you leave me a voicemail at night, I'm going to have to delete it without listening to it. Um, I cannot do this for you anymore. I really hope you find a therapist. Um, but whether you do or you don't, I'm letting you know so that you can make your own arrangements um, that I cannot pick up the phone when you call me drunk in the n- night anymore. Um, I'm, I'm and, and even if you're sober and it's during the day, I'm no longer available to talk about this. Um, And it's not because you don't deserve to have someone to talk to about it. It's not because I don't care about you. Um, It's because I have suffered the same type of abuse and it's affecting my own health. And I think that's all you need to say. And it may feel really like, how could I say this to another victim? This feels so cruel. But it's not. It's not cruel at all. Like, you're acknowledging that what she's doing right now barely helps her and hurts you. Like, it's not real relief, like drinking to self-medicate or calling while drunk to unload a lot of this on you is not actually helping her. Um, it's just enabling her to spin out the cycle a little bit longer.
1: I agree. And I would just add that I think um, in the conversation about not taking these calls anymore, I would just reiterate one last time that I completely believe what happened to you and it was totally unacceptable and you didn't deserve it. Yes. Um, I can't take your call. I'm not going to have my phone on at night because I'm unwell and I have my own issues and I need to sleep. Um, I might suggest if the person who left the voicemail is up for it to um actually find the cousin a the therapist um instead of just sending a list of resources because finding a therapist is so hard, and it sounds like she's drunk a lot of the time and also going through just a really difficult time generally. So maybe your sort of last big gesture could actually be finding a therapist who she can afford. Um and setting up the first appointment and letting letting her know where to be yeah. and how much it's going to cost or sending her the $25 or whatever the sliding scale thing is. um And then at that point, just wash your hands of it. And if there is a time when, you know, it's a Saturday and you're feeling pretty good and you feel like processing this with her, you can get on the phone and talk about it, but it has to be on your terms.
0: Yeah. And I, I think that's a really like loving suggestion. And if you have the ability to do that, that would be very, very kind if you don't um, don't don't feel like you have to in order to like purchase the right to stop taking these calls but if you are able to and it would be something that you could do that would be a, a very loving and a kind thing to do um, and and I agree I think it's really important to also just affirm like this does not mean that I think you need to just get over it or that I don't care. I, I know very well the pain that you're going through but I, I've, I've got to draw a line somewhere and it needs to be here. Um, And I hope so much that um, she is able to find somebody that she can talk to regularly uh, about this, um, who is not going to be immediately thrown back into their own trauma.
1: And Um, also you can remind yourself that if she's drunk when she calls you, she wasn't really getting anything out of those conversations anyway. So she's not really losing anything if you stop taking those calls.
0: Right. Yeah. She's not like... retaining really clear memories or like yeah it's the kind of thing that may feel like temporarily better in the way that like throwing up can make you feel better but it doesn't make you healthy right um i don't know that metaphor got away from me a little bit but yeah i I think that that's the way forward here and um, i'm just really really sorry um this is awful painful stuff to process and um it it, it sounds like it's just been really hard for both of you and I, i think you should continue to prioritize your own hard one health and well-being well, Janae, I don't know if we suffered any fools.
1: I don't think we did.
0: I don't know if any fools suffered. I don't know no if fools we really are more in. less foolish than we were at the beginning, but we did it.
1: I enjoyed it. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you so, so much. And um, I hope that the next time you come on the show that you're able to bring your other half with you. Me too. And that we can watch you two fight it out. That would be great. Or more likely support one another We'll see which one is the fool between the two of us. I mean, I have no comment. <laughs> It's not you. Let's put it that way. Okay. Uh, thank you so much. Have a fabulous rest of the day. You too. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dear prudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash prudipod to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEER, that's 3327, and you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we you can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds, a minute tops. Thanks for listening.